In this series uh, through 1 Samuel so far, we have another couple weeks until we take a break for our Christmas series, but we've seen a lot about leadership, transition, faithfulness, godliness, and also the lack thereof of all of those things. And, and transitions in leadership are extremely important. And today we interact with one of those transitions. And the themes that we'll see in our sermon today is almost a repeat or a review of lots of themes that we've seen already in this book. But we're in the midst of a leadership transition here in the text. And a leadership transition is a very important time for the nation. And in this translation, or, uh, transition, there's an opportunity for a farewell speech. A farewell speech. Have any of you ever had the opportunity to give a farewell speech? This is more than just last words that you utter on your deathbed, the last thing that comes out of your mouth. This is an intentional speech that you're able to say to people as you leave with an organization or you're planning even your funeral and the kinds of things that you want to say, I want this to be known for those who follow me. Maybe it's been a retirement speech that you were able to speak to your coworkers or company as you were leaving. Maybe some of, some of you were able to give, speak at graduation of college or high school to maybe the valedictorian who got to speak. That was not my problem, by the way. Never had to give that speech. And, uh, but maybe you had the opportunity to give a farewell speech. Now, some in a farewell speech might want to take it um, by way of airing of grievances. So this is your chance to get even. And you start that farewell speech with, I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're going to hear about it. Maybe the more mature or higher road would be to want to not, not lie about the institution's shortcomings or opportunities or, or, uh, or weaknesses, but you, in the maturity of your heart, want to inspire the people who remain to faithfulness, to perseverance, to hard work, to diligence, to continue on. Let me ask just real quick, what, what are the things in your life that, that you would need reminded? That what would be the motivations to stay faithful in your current situation of life? What are those reminders that you need to stay faithful? Well, in September 1796, George Washington delivered his farewell address. Historians say that, that this address was meant to inspire and guide future generations. Washington was doing something extremely unprecedented in the history of the world. He was leaving office without having been killed or ousted. On his own free will, he was saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give this address to inspire faithfulness, patriotism, diligence, duty in the Americans who follow after me. Well, on a far grander scale, 1 Samuel chapter 12 is Samuel's farewell address. See, while there's some similarities to Washington's address, there's inspiration, there's weaknesses, there's calling people to faithfulness, there's some similarities. But on a far grander scale, Samuel's message is all the more important. Washington spoke merely to a geopolitical nation. Samuel speaks to God's covenant people. Those people who are in a unique faith relationship with the Lord. And for us on this side of redemptive, redemption history, on this side of the cross, we as God's new covenant people, while this speech is not to us directly, it is for us to learn from, 
as God's people. In this final stage of the judges, as Samuel is retiring from public uh, leadership, he's no longer going to be the primary leader over his people that will transition now completely to the monarchy, to the king. He says these things to the people so that they might stay faithful. If you would, please stand in honor of reading of God's word. I'm going to read from all of 1 Samuel chapter 12. This will take a few moments, but it's important for us to hear all of this before we get into more of the details. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still. That I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord. And the, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold, the king whom you have chosen, from whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see, these, see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. It is, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people, 
for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you do wickedly, you will be swept away, both you and your king. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this is Samuel's farewell address to the nation. Essentially, this is his retirement party of which he has an opportunity to say some final words of encouragement to the nation. He has an overall goal and then he provides motivations for keeping that goal. The goal is simply faithfulness, faithfulness to the Lord. But then he provides the hope, the reasons for actually fulfilling that goal. It's almost New Year's Time again. We'll be making New Year's resolutions eventually, and most of us, two weeks into that, will uh, will neglect our New Year's resolution, partially because we'll make a goal, but we won't have plans to keep us to keep that goal or motivations so that we might maintain it. So, in this speech, Samuel provides the goal for his people to remain faithful to the Lord, and then motivations for how that can be true. But before we get into the heart of this sermon today, let me ask again, what are the things that tempt you to despair? What are the things that would tempt you to neglect faithfulness to the Lord? What are the circumstances in your life that could distract you from remaining faithful? Personal, health, financial, relational? Could be, could be issues in our own state, issues in our world, that make you simply want to throw up your hands and leave it all behind. In in the marathon of life, in the race of life that we are on, what are the things in your life now that would make you want to stop and get off the race completely? See, brothers and sisters, I hope today that you will be inspired from this final address of faith to remain faithful to the Lord. And that the motivations that Samuel provides to the people then, that that are provided for us now, that that we may maintain our faithfulness to God. So first, the goal. The goal is faithfulness to the Lord. We're going to go out of order here a little bit with this address because I'm going to get right at the heart of, what, of the goal of this um, speech in the first place. What's the purpose of it? And in verses 14 and 15 and 24 and 25, we see the goal of why Samuel is speaking this message at all. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Those verses are essentially repeated then in verses 24 through 25, which says only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Samuel has 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 one message with two points. There's salvation or there's judgment. He says to fear the Lord. And that's the message of salvation. That's the message of faith. 
In this, on the salvation side of this message, he says, if you fear the Lord, if you obey him, if you do not distract yourself with other things, if you persevere in faith, things will go well with you. In verse 24, he says, serve him faithfully with your whole heart. Consider the great things that he has done. Maintain faithfulness. This is, he's calling them to remain faithful to the covenant. Continue to trust God. Repent of your sins. Turn to him in faith. The Grace and Truth Study Bible says it this way. Only repentance, faith, and obedience will ensure covenant blessings. This call to faith this call to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully is like a marriage vow. If you stay faithful to this vow, if you remain, if you are faithful to your spouse, if you do the things you said you are going to do, it will go well. I like how the NIV translates this as well. They say, that, say it this way. If you fear the Lord, do not rebel, follow the Lord. Good. It is good to fear the Lord. It is good to have faith in Christ. It is good. Things will go well with you if you remain faithful to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it may not always feel like it. Life is hard. But a life of faith is always good. It will always go well with you with faith in Christ. Maybe not in every aspect of our lives, but in the long run, especially in the long run of eternity, it will always go well with you to remain faithful to the Lord. If you fear the Lord and follow him with your whole heart, good. It is for your good that you remain faithful. There's salvation in this message. But the opposite side of the coin, the other side of this, is judgment. There's judgment. If, if Essentially, he's saying, if you follow the Lord, if you remain faithful to, to him, good. If you don't, bad. Look at verse 15. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Verse 25. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. See, there's salvation to those who, who remain faithful to the Lord. And there's judgment for those who don't. See, you remember this, this hand of the Lord being heavy or against the people. We saw this earlier in the book of 1 Samuel when that, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the Philistines. When he gave them those plagues and, those, and, and, and he plagued their land with mice and tumors. The, the hand of the Lord was heavy. The heavy hand of judgment against the Lord. The heavy hand of discipline of the Lord. See, the discipline of the Lord, God's heavy hand against his people, is meant to inspire a return to him of faith and repentance. God's discipline of his people is the best and most loving thing he can ever do for us so that we may not remain in our sin. There's a good old country song from the 1980s called Daddy's Hands, and only those of you with good taste in music know it. <laughs> the chorus says, Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I done, done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. See, brothers and sisters, the difference of God's heavy hand of discipline versus his hand, heavy hand of punishment is vast. 
The heavy hand of discipline is God's loving kindness to his children so that they might, may not maintain the rebellious way that they're doing. He disciplines the children that he loves. He, Hebrews chapter 12 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The most hateful thing we can do for our children is not correct them. And the most hateful thing that God could do for you as his child is not correct you. God's hand of discipline is meant to turn you in faith and repentance. But God's hand of punishment is for those who continue to neglect, continue to reject his hand of discipline and will reject him eternally. See, to embrace his hand of discipline is to respond in faith and repentance and have a reconciled relationship with God. But to reject his hand of discipline is then to be punished eternally forever. The Bible's clear. And to be lovingly direct with you, for those who continue to reject God, judgment comes on all. Hell is a real place of real conscious torment for all of those who reject the Lord. Those aren't easy truths. But brothers and sisters, we must proclaim them. God calls us to faithfulness. And for those who disobey, for those who continue to reject the Lord, Samuel says here, you will be swept away. He, he's using this to inspire us to faithfulness. He's, remember, using this to respire our ongoing trust in him because consequences are real. Consequences are true. This isn't made up stuff. Brothers and sisters, the goal is faithfulness, faithfulness to the Lord. Serve him with your whole heart. Fear him or be swept away. So the call is to faithfulness. It's faithfulness despite our culture. It's faithfulness despite our circumstances for the believer. It is faithfulness to the truth. It is faithfulness to obedience. It is faithfulness to the church. It is faithfulness to the gospel. So how can we do it? The goal is faithfulness. What power do we have to actually remain faithful? And the rest of his sermon here, the rest of his, the rest of his farewell letter, I think gives us six motivations for faithfulness. Six motivations for faithfulness to God's covenant people. And you're saying six motivations. Hess, we have lunch at some point. We'll get there. Six motivations for faithfulness. And my prayer is that these motivations, these motivations, brothers and sisters, Grace Pillars Church, would inspire us to faithful living to the Lord. Again, regardless as to your situation, whatever, whatever issues might be in your present, in your mind, that could distract your faithfulness to the Lord, I pray that you would latch on to each of these six so that you might maintain the faith. Motivations for faithfulness. Number one, leaders with integrity. Leaders with integrity. In the first five verses of this chapter of this address, Samuel makes clear that he has led with integrity. He says, whose ox or donkey uh, or who have I taken or who have I defrauded? The answer is no one. Unlike the bad leaders we've seen in the past already, Samuel did not take from others on unfairly. He was not guilty of extortion. He says, whom have I oppressed? Is there anyone who's been un, under my oppressive yoke? And the answer is no. He, it, there was nothing to uh, cause anyone to think that Samuel had been abusive in his leadership, that he had manipulated people. That wasn't true. He has led with godliness and integrity. 
Finally, he asked, from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? The answer is no one. Samuel calls it as he sees it. No one can pay him off. Samuel was not indifferent to injustice or to sin or to wrongdoing. Samuel was, was man of, a man of integrity. And they could confess, he and the people could confess, God was their witness. God had seen it all, and this was true. Integrity and leadership has been a consistent theme of this sermon series, and it's important that we emphasize it again. Integrity and godliness matter in leadership, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. Samuel asserts that his integrity was, he asserts it not to brag, not to say, look at me. He asserts it so that his message that's following might be heard. Essentially, he's able to say, fellas, you know my life. I've served you faithfully. I've not held back. No one can say that I held anything back from you to declare both good and hard things. You watch me live a godly life. So now everything that I'm about to, stay, about to say should matter. So when we think about integrity and leadership, I know what most of us begin thinking. We begin thinking about all the leaders out there and say, yeah, if we just had leaders with integrity out there, then everything would go well. Sure, that might be true. But the most important place to, again, to apply this truth is in the context of our own local church. God's new covenant people, his bride, must have leaders with integrity, must have leaders who both proclaim the whole counsel of God and then live it in their life. Not perfectly, but over the pattern of their lives. Hebrews 13, verse 7, places teaching the teaching life in, in the, or the teaching role in the life of elders together. He says in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They proclaim the word of God to you, but watch how they live. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, the message of leaders with integrity that help people, that help the rest of the congregation maintain faithfulness is really is important. And for all of our pastors and elders who are hearing this today, for me, preaching this now, leaders with integrity is what helps other believers persevere in faith. We must have godly leadership. And it's an essential warning for all of us who lead and teach. But leaders with integrity... Is part of what keeps us faithful. Second motivation, God's redemption of sinners. God's redemption of sinners. As Samuel gets into the heart of his address, he spends much of his time reminding the people of how God had saved them in the past. And the memory of their redemption, the memory of their salvation, the memory of their justification should inspire ongoing faithfulness. In verse 7, he says, Now therefore, stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. He begins to go through the story, first of the Exodus. He says, remember how your ancestors went into Egypt? How God protected them there? How they cried out for freedom? How they cried out in the midst of their oppression? And how I brought them out by the blood of the lamb on the doorpost? But remember Passover and how it was the blood of the lamb that in the substitution of that lamb's blood for you that was the, 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 the cause or the, the payment of your exodus? He says, remember that, that I brought you out. 
And then it doesn't last too long because in verse 9 it says, but they forgot the Lord their God. And then he goes on to say how the Lord disciplined them by selling them into the hands of these other nations and how these other nations fought against the Lord. But guess what? The people cry out again. They repented of their sin again. They cried out for forgiveness to the Lord and he forgave them and he delivered them again and placed godly judges over them that helped deliver the nation. And then yet again, they sinned. And yet they cried out in forgiveness and God restored them. See, brothers and sisters, it was in the stories of their forgiveness that was meant to inspire their ongoing faith. Remember what God had done for them. Even in their requesting of a king, they had sinned against the Lord. But Samuel here is calling them back to repentance. Remember God's redemption to inspire ongoing faithfulness. Two easy applications for us. What's your testimony of faith? What's your testimony of faith? What were the circumstances that you came to trust Jesus as your Savior? That maybe you grew up in a church like ours and, and you can't really remember a time that you weren't familiar with the gospel, that you weren't taught the Bible, that you heard how God had created you, how you were in his image of value and worth, but you sinned against God and therefore you deserve God's right wrath and judgment. But Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection was your substitute. And you responded in faith and repentance. What were the circumstances that you came to new life? That you had a reconciled relationship with God? That you went from death to life? That you went from unforgiven to forgiven? That you were given eternal life? What's your testimony? And how could God use your testimony to inspire the ongoing faithfulness in others? What about that one person, remember, that we're praying for right now, that God would open their heart, that God would give us an opportunity to declare? What if you shared your testimony of faith with that person? Remember, God saved you. And that saving should inspire you to ongoing faith. The second application here is what's your practice with communion? What's your practice with communion? When we gather for threefold communion, is that something that you recognize is a privilege and obligation for God's people? That Remember when we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim, we remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a chance for us to remember all that God has done in our past to inspire ongoing faithfulness. God's redemption of sinners, his salvation in our lives should inspire our ongoing faith. Third motivation for our ongoing faithfulness. Signs of God's power. Signs of God's power. Almost in the middle of Samuel's address, he tells everyone to stop and watch. He calls upon a sign to confirm the seriousness of his message. Look at verse 16. It says, Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So this was a time of the year that thunder and lightning rain would have been pretty infrequent. This was a harvest time. So Samuel recognizes this, that there would be no real reason for a pop-up storm to come out of nowhere. But he calls upon thunder, he calls upon the Lord to do a sign so that the message that he's proclaiming might be confirmed to the people. And the response was that the people feared the Lord and Samuel. 
Now, again, you might be thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice to have thunder and lightning come out of nowhere during one of these sermons to confirm that that's actually a truth from the Lord? I could use a sign every once in a while. Well, brothers and sisters, every single week, every single Sunday, God's people, we as his church, gather in light of the greatest sign ever performed in human history. The sign of the resurrection is the sign that we need. The Bible says because Christ has been risen from the dead, we have the motivation for all of our faithfulness. We have the motivation to remain true to the Lord. And if Christ has not been raised, then we are wasting our time completely. If Christ has not been raised, we would spend Sunday mornings much different. If Christ has been raised, then we can maintain faithfulness to the Lord. I believe that Jesus has really rose from the dead. And therefore, we can maintain our faith in Jesus until he comes. That he will execute and perform every promise that he has ever given his people. Because Christ has been raised. Recently, I was having a conversation with that one person I've been praying for on, my, on that, book, uh, on that uh, bookmark. A person of that gospel ambition. And I was in a conversation with her and I was about to officiate a funeral that afternoon. And I asked her, I said, do you ever think about death? She said, not really. Yeah, but I believe in something, but I just, I don't know if anybody can really know what happens after we die. I said, oh, really? Well, I think we can know. I said, because Jesus rose from the dead, then everything he said is validated. Everything he said about the future, everything he said about life and death is true. Everything he said about eternal life and eternal punishment is true because Christ has been risen. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus has really rose from the dead, then you can stay faithful regardless as to the circumstances that you're facing. Number four, an active intercessor. An active intercessor is a motivation for faithfulness. Samuel's words and the thunder from heaven caused the people to fear the Lord. And they say in verse 19, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. See, the people recognize that what they've done has been sinful. To ask for a king, they finally are repenting of that sin. And they're afraid to lose Samuel's intercessory prayer. See, Samuel has been the mediator between God and his people. He has pleaded the people's case to God through prayer. And he has also represented God to the people through his teaching. And they're saying, we don't want to lose your prayer, Samuel. Don't neglect praying for us. So then in verse 23, he says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. See, the people's sins are no excuse for Samuel to neglect his responsibility to be the mediator between God and man. But remember, friends, as great as Samuel's intercessory role was between God and the people, Jesus is the true and great intercessor that we need. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is interceding for us before the Father. He pleads our case and our cause. He prays for us right now before the Father. And he does so on the basis of his death in our place. He is the one who intercedes. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against us. He is our great high priest who does not just offer sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice. He does not just offer prayers to go through another mediator. He is the mediator. 
Friends, what will keep you faithful? Jesus Christ is praying for you on behalf of his shed blood in your place. So that in any accusation you feel before the devil to remind you of past sin that goes before the Father, Jesus can say, I died for that one. For anything that comes up from your mind of previous guilt or shame or misery because of your sin, Jesus can say to the Father, I died for that one too. I don't know how intercessory works with the Son of God and and, and the Father, but I know that it's true that Jesus is right now praying for us that we would stay faithful. An active intercessor, not in our own power, but through the prayer and power of Christ, Jesus is our mediator. So we can stay faithful because Jesus is causing it through his prayer to be. Number five, The only true God. The only true God is a motivation for faithfulness. Part of Samuel's concluding statements to inspire people to faithful living is to point out that God alone is the true God. Look at verse 20. He says, And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. It's almost as if Samuel has in mind the story of the Ark of the Covenant when it was captured by the Philistines. Remember the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant? It was essentially their trophy that they had captured, the symbol, the sign of God's power and presence. And they took it and put it in their temple of Dagon. They put it in there and the next morning they wake up and Dagon is on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember they kind of go through, did you touch it? Did you touch it? No, not me. Okay, let's put him back up. So they put him back up. Next day they come in, Dagon again on his face, but this time with his head and his hands cut off, rendering him useless. Samuel says, do not turn yourself to empty idols that cannot give you life. The only true God is the only way you can have life. For Jesus says, I have come to give life and life abundant. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We only have life through the truth. And Jesus himself is the truth. Brothers and sisters, you can stay faithful because Jesus is the true God. It brings us to our last point. Number six, in this final point, is kind of the point of points. It's the motivation of motivations. This is the Jenga block that if you were to pull this point out, all everything else falls. The rest of these truths aren't true without this one. And this is how Samuel concludes the final motivation for our current faithfulness, brothers and sisters. The final motivation for our faithfulness is God's commitment to his people for his glory. God's commitment to his people for his glory. Samuel roots the ongoing faithfulness of Israel in God's commitment to his own glory. Or we might even say the ongoing faithfulness of the people is rooted in God's commitment to God. God's glory, then, is most manifested, it's most made known supremely in the saving and keeping of his people. Look at verse 22. It says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So therefore, the saving and keeping of his people is directly connected to his Glory, God will not forsake you because God is glorified in keeping you. 
to forsake you would be to forsake his glory. And this is why text after text in the Bible talks about how God's children are persevering in faith completely. They are protected by God himself. He is the one enabling their ongoing faith. John chapter 10 is one of the primary passages for this. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life that they may never perish, and no one, no one, will snatch them out of my hand. Romans 8 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect, or who will separate us from God's love? And the answer is, no one. Because God will not forsake his people. The true believer will persevere in ongoing faith. But we need to ask ourselves the question, well, why won't God forsake his people? Look at verse 22 again. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. So God's saving and keeping of his people is for their salvation and perseverance, yes. But more ultimately, it's for his own glory. God is committed to himself. He is committed to God. He is committed to his own glory. Now we might think, wouldn't, isn't that kind of selfish? Like if we, were, if we said that we were committed to our own glory, fame, and, and awesomeness, wouldn't that be a little bit selfish? Well, yes, it would be if that was our commitments as human beings. But if God himself is the most wondrous, awesome, beautiful, rich, amazing, awe-inspiring, worship-deserving being in the universe, then it would be absurd for him to get glory from anyone other than himself. But what is so amazing about the glory of God is that he would see fit to glorify himself most in the saving of me and you. So that in our salvation, we get all the salvation, we get all the forgiveness, but God gets all the glory. Notice how in verse 22, it goes on to talk about what makes God happy. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Brothers and sisters, have you ever thought that as God's child, through faith in Jesus and repentance of your sin, that God is happy with you? That, that God is simply pleased with you because you are his child, not for what you give him. Text after text in the Bible talks about when God chooses his people, he says, I didn't choose you because you were the wealthiest. I didn't choose you because you were the strongest. I didn't choose you because you were the best looking. I chose you because I love you. And God is pleased with you as his child by faith. And he will not forsake you because he cannot forsake his own great name. For the best days of my life were the birth of my four children. And when those children were born, the glory that I felt in and of myself by simply being a dad was something that is difficult to describe. Those kids at that moment could give me nothing. They can only take but the glory of being their father is a joy that is inexpressible. It is the joy of simply having, of expressing love in someone that cannot return it at all. And the joy of the father for us through faith in Christ, for he is pleased to make you his child. 
What can motivate your ongoing faithfulness is the security of that relationship you have with God through Christ. For there is nothing and no one who can take that away. And your ongoing faith is completely built on God's desire to glorify himself most through saving and keeping you. Brothers and sisters, we can live faithfully because God is faithful to us. We can live faithfully because God is faithful to us. What are those things that tempt to distract your faith? I'm frustrated by how last week in the election went. I'm concerned about world events. There's personal things that bother me. But brothers and sisters, we can live faithful. We can stay committed to Christ because Christ is committed to us no matter our circumstances, no matter our culture. God gets the glory. We can remain faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your mercy to us, to make us your children by faith. And I pray that, Lord, out of the overflow of that security and love and enjoyment, that you would keep us. Thanks for your promises to never leave us or forsake us. Thanks that you are amazing, all-inspiring. Lord, I pray for all in our church that we would remain faithful to you for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen.